This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Rome, Season 1, Episode 9, Utica, is over, but here on Post Show Recap, we are just getting started. My name is Grace, but of course I'm not alone. I'm here with a man who has a tolerant spirit. It's Dion Philly. Philly, how are you doing? I'm good. My tolerant spirit is uh, very excited to talk through this episode of Rome, Grace. Yes. Uh, you and I, I think, both under the weather. Is it too much Rome? Have we ingested too much Rome? I know I just had Thanksgiving weekend up here in Canada, so I might just be... I guess I'm completely giving away when this episode was recorded, but nevertheless, I might just be full on turkey. Uh, yeah, the turkey might be getting you. I was just, yeah. I think it might be like not enough Rome, Grace. I mm. think that if I had more Rome in my system, I would be impervious to the weakness that uh, has infiltrated my body. Mm-hmm. I think that if I were blessed by the gods of Rome, perhaps I would be strong enough to endure through this sickness and would have been able to fight it off. So probably I think I need more Rome. Yeah. So I watched this episode just before I was going to head over to my brother's house and hang out with him for the day. I was like, I just got to watch an episode of Rome and then I'll be over. And I got over and he's like, how was it? And I was like, there was a lot of incest in this episode. Uh, so, you know, it was interesting. And uh, uh, my my brother, my brother's brother-in-law was also there, if that makes <laughs> sense. And he said, so, well, how much incest are you, do you tolerate? I said, typically, if somebody says, hey, incest is bad, that's what I tolerate. But this one, quite, quite a lot of incest. Oh, yeah. We're connecting uh, straight to like our Westeros kind of DNA there on HBO. The incest is real. I mean, not as much incest as a Game of Thrones, certainly way less than House of the Dragon. Um, So, you know, I, I mean, like it's a moderate amount of incest. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about it. We're make sure you're subscribed here. We're chatting about Rome. Every single weekday here in October, as it is the fall of Rome, posturerecaps.com slash Rome. We are nearing the end of season one although season one has 12 episodes we still have a few more to to go um but still your ratings and reviews are much appreciated especially subscribe make sure you don't miss an episode um all right rich uh 
I'm going to give a little bit of a quick plot recap here. Uh, basically, Rome is at peace as um, as Cato and Scipio are on the run, but ultimately both kill themselves, commit suicide. Um, one uh, to himself, Scipio asks his servant to slit his throat, and therefore Caesar is able to celebrate Rome um, is, is in peace time. Um, they throw a, a party. Servilia is a little bit worried about uh, Brutus's uh, her placement in in all of this happenings as well as uh, uh, Brutus's, um, but he decides that um, he he will continue to to abide by Caesar's doing as he has won the war. Meanwhile, Servilia learns about Caesar's affliction and would like to get her new lover Octavia to get Octavian to spill the beans and basically by any means necessary, including seducing her brother. She does not want to do this until she learns that her mother was responsible for, for Glabius's death, and therefore she does end up doing this, only for Atia to then find out that it happened. Um, and uh, alas, um, uh, Varenus is going to be, uh, is offered uh, a position, uh, as well as Octavian is offered a position. Uh, as a pontiff, uh, Varenus will be a magistrate. Um they uh Varenus has to fight off uh, uh, uh an attack potentially from uh this is Erastes, the man who was going to offer him a loan, I believe, earlier in the series. Um, and after uh Varenus uh, stops a man from having his nose sliced off, uh, the man is going to come and confront him. But when the man sees Caesar's guards at the door, the man wanders off. And I think that's basically it. Pula's kind of getting drunk and not sure what he wants to do with his life. Yeah, Pulo's got some real marriage envy happening. Uh, I think I like missed the opportunity to start the podcast by chanting, happy day, happy day, happy day. Um, We got like a little play within the show, which is always fun. But I I thought it was a really interesting episode. Uh, You know, like Italians often will talk about the poor depictions of Italians in media. Certainly, Mm -hmm. I think it was much more common uh, 15 years ago. But I did have to laugh to myself that we're like in ancient Rome and I kind of forgot that we have to do the mob boss storyline with <laughs> Erastes uh-huh. uh-huh. uh, we're gonna like make sure that we get a little La Cosa Nostra in ancient Rome so I thought it was a pretty interesting episode the way that they like uh, play with our expectations as we return home after this campaign far afield yeah I do think this is an episode that I said this at the beginning beginning i think and i think it's the premiere episode where i thought it was interesting how separate everything is and then it ties together quite Mm -hmm. nicely i think this is an episode that does this as well because you kind of have everything that's happening with varenis and pulo and the way that varenis's story obviously then ties back into julius caesar and who's going to continue to be involved with him even pulo's story to an extent is kind of um talks about how he was born from slaves, and so he does not want to bow down to a man who has basically made himself uh, a dictator. So that ties in. And then also you have the way that um, Servilia, Octavia, Atia, that also all twines in with, with Julius Caesar. Basically, the only man missing from this episode really is uh, is one Mark Antony. But um, yeah, most for the most part, I feel like the episode is tied together really well. It is. We also covered a lot of time. We've like talked about the kind of nebulous time movement, but the whole like Octavian coming back to the city and like you've been gone for two years. Um, like right. we've had a, a pretty quick, I mean, not really, you know, kind of the last couple of episodes have conveyed what's been going on over that two years. But I really appreciate that in terms of the way that, um, again, I keep bringing it up. It's probably because of the incest, but the Game of Thrones of it all, of like the teleport by map that mm-hmm. starts to happen late in the day. I appreciate them giving us a little context for like we didn't just like zip down to egypt and like come back the next week right it's been two years it's been enough time for a lot of these relationships to advance yeah i think that you really feel that with like octavia and servilia Mm -hmm. and the kind of um the the familiarity that they've established with one another and i think it puts an interesting spin on like the glabius beats of it all i couldn't help but like laugh a little bit of like that bastard glabius like still ruining things grace (laughs) after all the way from the beginning you know i know i keep waiting for the fact that niobe's baby is um uh is is not um is not her daughter's baby oh no that's not gonna come back to haunt us right that can't possibly that's just a little like fun fact for us to keep in our bonnets as we go 
I would not have put money on the fact that uh, Glabius uh, is is name dropped uh, sooner than than Niobe's baby. I want to start maybe at the beginning here as we get Cato. Before we start, I believe his like forces, they've like the last, he's like basically on his last legs. He has like mm -hmm. just a few men left, literally an elephant, like dead, keeled over. Uh, maybe not dead yet, but he says once it gets knocked over, you can't get it back up. So essentially, mm -hmm. it's dead. And the scene where Cato urges Scipio, like, go make peace with Caesar, like, go surrender. You'll be fine. You're good. I'm going to go in the other room. I'm going to kill myself. And then Scipio ultimately asking a man to do the same thing to him to end his life. Basically, this is a setup. It's interesting that the episode is called Utica because this is where they like, they're going to go hide out, try to hide out. Um, and really, it's just the opening scene here that basically then I guess sets up the rest. Everything else that's happening is like, this is sort of the last thing Caesar needed to be able to, you know, as long as the two of them are out there, they could potentially summon an army. Um, but it's interesting that it's the name of the episode. And really it's just this opening scene where it's like, I don't know. What do you make of this, of this, this scene here with like Cato and Scipio? I think it's interesting because it reframes where, where we find characters like Brutus. Right. right. Um, I mean, like it's clear, like setup of like, okay, this is the last piece falling into place to your point to allow Caesar to like seize control uh, as he does of Rome and, and kind of like the last of his resistance falls away. But the idea of honor. And I think that like, it's playing in both ways where you have like a Rastis coming to Varanus of like, this man has dishonored me. He's, spoken dishonorably to me tomorrow he will come and like publicly kiss my feet right like i'm making a hard left turn to get back to the utica of it all which is the notion of like this is where cato finds himself right like scipio's kind of saying to him like oh we're still alive like don't be so glum as long as we live there's yet hope and cato's got this great retort of like i think that we have proven the like fallacy of that like statement scipio right like we mm -hmm. are without hope there is nothing left for us we cannot like finally these guys have kind of accepted the reality of the situation in that they're never going to be able to rally enough forces to like offset caesar at this point they can remain a thorn in his side and problematic but they're not going to be able to like win and and ultimately that leaves cato of like yeah i'm alive but what is my life like without honor without mm. hope i'm gonna like end it and i think that that like creates this fascinating context to come back to Brutus, who's going to talk to Servilia later in the episode of like, I am ashamed. I have no pride. I am like a husk of a man. And in the absence of an honorable suicide, like you'll have to settle for that mother, you know? Yeah. And I've been a real champion of Servilia, but we see like the machinations of the web weaver here, right? Again, with like the Game of Thrones of it all, she shifts like, you know, one shade closer to like uh, the golden throne of Cersei Lannister, right? Yeah. In terms of like, these people just being kind of pawns to her the way that she exploits the relationship with octavia and and like so callously receives brutus's pleading for like please don't look at me with this contempt in your eyes like i live with this contempt in my soul every day for myself right one thing i think it's very interesting is utica i believe the the sort of like uh, Tunisian city doesn't exist anymore. So I think that that's also interesting. Obviously, there's yeah, that's New York. fascinating. Yeah, um, this idea that like that's where Cato. That's basically where like the not like the defense of the Republic basically ends. Right, it's his last two men who are on the hideout who could potentially gather an army to fight Caesar's dictatorship. Utica is the place they die, and that place no longer existing. I think it's just an interesting little fun fact. I feel like there's a metaphor in there somewhere. Yeah, it's really fascinating, right? Like these like vestiges that fall away to history or whatever. I like joked about it yesterday, but, um, you know, there's a lot of towns near where I live that are named after these ancient Roman cities, mm -hmm. ancient Greek cities. Rome, New York, notoriously was the site of like Woodstock in, in 2000 or 99. I'm sorry. Uh, Utica is like a couple of hours away. So like these places, these are very common names to me in like my everyday. And that's not something I was at all aware of that the actual Tunisian city is like gone. Uh, I love the little depiction that we get of Utica, like the cramped streets and the people kind of like spying them from the alleys as they, they go to like find shelter there or whatever. Yeah. Agreed. Um, you talked about Brutus and Servilia. I, I do like I do like this scene a lot. The scene you mentioned where Brutus is gonna basically go and like, look, this is the situation I'm in. Like, I'm not gonna kill myself. Uh, you know, he's he's seemingly good. And so 
Yeah. Um, and I like the fact that she says, and I, I do think this is just in terms of like, I feel like I've rooted so hard for Sevilla so far. I think um, similarly to you that she's, you know, she's sleeping with Caesar and he's sort of like, you know, Atia is just the worst. So you look great in comparison to Atia, right? Oh, yeah. And then, yeah. And then Caesar breaks it off because of Atia. So you feel bad for her. She, you know, puts the, the, the curses on the, on these two houses. I love the last line that she says to Brutus. She says, my objection to Caesar is political, not personal. And yet when, Servilia is going to be like, or sorry, not Servilia, sorry, um, Octavia is going to sort of drop the fact that Caesar is afflicted with something. She's like, what is it? Well, tell me, tell me, please. Did my curse work is how I felt. She was like, like, I think my curse worked. Even though the timing of that, I don't think like totally adds up, but we never get it. She never gets into the details. Like when exactly was this? It's just kind of like, oh, Caesar has affliction. Maybe he, he perhaps has been cursed by the gods. Just as my request, my request went through the paper. It's always, it's, they never inform you. When it, when the curse goes through, you know, you don't get a letter no. back, you know? Um, so I like, I like that. And then, yeah, this like pushing this incessant pushing. And the thing I also think that I really liked about the Servilia stuff, this episode is I really loved the scene with Octavia and Servilia when they're talking about how much Caesar is, she's still like enamored with him in some way. And mm -hmm. I, I, she's like, I can't, I, you know, uh, it's not quite broke back mountain. I can't, I can't quit you, you know, but um, it's unclear whether she, I think to me anyway, whether she's like, I'm still in love with him, but he spurned me. So I'm never going to go back to him, but I just want, you know, I want to know this information. Um, she's even to, alluding to like, whether like, you know, Octavia having other love, you know, the fact that even like the fact that she'd propose like seduce your brother. Mm -hmm. I think it's just like very interesting. And it goes back to this thing we've been saying is like, I feel like the best TV shows understand that people are incredibly complicated and the more sort of, and it's, it's so hard to convey in a TV show because we want to sit down and we want to be able to watch an hour long TV show and understand it and not be sitting there thinking, you know, what the heck is good? Like, I thought she's in love with like, I thought she's in love with Octavia. It's like, well, she is, but also like, she's not the one who broke it up with Caesar. He broke it off with her. So like, yeah, it's like very interesting and complicated. I just like the way that this dynamic, this all the scenes play out where basically she's asking, and then and then if you question whether or not she likes Octavia or not because she's mm -hmm. like, is she has she been doing this as such a long ploy to get something out of this relationship? Because that doesn't seem like what it was at first, but it seems like two years in maybe that's what it feels like. No, I mean, a couple of days ago, I asked you um, about whether or not we thought that Caesar truly lamented the loss of his friend in right. Pompey or whether or not he was like being authentic to Brutus when Brutus came back and like he takes him back into the fold. And you were like, no, I think it's like political motivation. But we talked about the fact that like, you know, more than one thing are driving us at the same time. Like humans are fundamentally really emotional creatures. You know, we just spent a couple of months like going back and rewatching Dark Grace and like so often. Often you come to these conclusions of like, well, this is the obvious logical course of action, but these people are not behaving uh, within that logical course of action. They're emotionally motivated and they're making choices that like directly contradict their own interests and like cut their own legs out from under them. And I think it's a fundamental truth about humans. And I think it's really exceptional when that's articulated well in storytelling, right? Like fundamentally, I think that we are supposed to feel like she's got this affection for Octavia. Maybe she's in love. Maybe it is just like the physical passion of it all, whatever it is. Like, I think both things can be true at the same time. They don't invalidate one another that she cares deeply for this girl and is willing to like utilize her as a tool to like get her vengeance. Right. That like she's in the, this new relationship, but she's not over the old one. Like, yeah, can relate. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> this is a very human um, trap that we can fall into right and even the way that like Brutus is pushing her like maybe it'll be good for you to go see him to remind yourself that he's just a man he shouldn't have this like crushing hold over you this agonizing pain that you're in I love the beat where she says to Octavia like Octavia is kind of saying to her like oh I'm sorry you're in pain and she's like it's fine like I'm used to being in pain mm -hmm. and that speaks to me of like just aging also the thing yeah. where like you get used to like waking up every day and your neck hurts <laughs> or like mm -hmm. I've got like this bad knee that I walk around on all day long like the way that we grow calluses I mean like emotionally yeah. that are able to like just endure this this uh, agony that we can like exist in perpetually it's a really great 
great depiction of like a fully realized person. We talk yeah. so often about like strong women in fiction. And I think Servilia is like an exceptionally strong woman. She's mm -hmm. just not necessarily always on the side that we want her to be. Um, and that's yeah. great. That makes for yeah. really compelling drama. Yeah, I mean, um, this episode, this episode again, as I'm like looking through, like you know, thinking about where we're gonna go next. This episode is is so well done because like this is not like I don't have to make a hard pivot here because basically, nope. the Servilia and Octavia stuff does lead to a couple. Again, I thought really great scenes, which is between Octavia and Octavian, mm -hmm. and so um, first we get Octavian uh, hanging out with Caesar. They're at the they're having the party, and Caesar asks Octavian. Um, how would you proceed? What would you do now that I'm in charge of Rome? And, and he says, you know, start a large program of public works, put people in jobs and get a hundred new senators who are his own creatures. And so Caesar says that he wants Octavian clearly impressed by his answer and the, 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 the boys, um, you know, wit and, and smarts. He would like him to be at the pontiff's table. Uh, Octavian is like going to say, I would make a very ill pontiff. <laughs> <laughs> I want to work on my poetry, but alas, he is going to be placed in this position. And so later we'll see when um, Octavia has been tasked to go um, uh, get the information, uh, the secret out of out of Octavia, uh, out of Octavian. Sorry, this would be very confusing. To, mm -hmm. to them. Um, he's talking about, uh, again, studying up to become uh, a pontiff. Ultimately, um, the way she'll try to get him to reveal a secret is by letting him read some of his poetry first. <laughs> it's very good. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's kind of hilarious. The poetry is like so cringe too. You know, I love like uh, Octavia's response. Octavia, like you don't like it. And she's like, I'm just sick of poetry. Let's get to the point here. Um, the the relationship between them is like really interesting, and this puts like such a fascinating wrinkle in it because it's not a thing that I think that anybody would necessarily have like extrapolated from what we've seen so far. That like, oh, this kid's in love with his sister, right? And the I, fact I that didn't read that at all, but then once you see it, you're like. Oh, yeah. OK, that's there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. The, the fact that how quickly it works. Yeah. I mean, like as soon as Servilia presents it and then we circle back and he's reading this poetry of like, I, I would like to play with you, too. Your delicate beak. It's like, oh, my yeah. God, kid, yeah. like you're really like going above and beyond here. But it's kind of um, it's just so tragic for me because I like very much find myself like like perceiving it all from Octavia's perspective mm -hmm. of like this girl is just so lost and being manipulated on at every angle. Like everybody's got an agenda. It seems like except her yeah. and they're all just like shoving her in these various directions. The whole reason that she's even in this scenario is because her mother killed her husband at right. like, uh, you know, potential of like remarrying to an upjumped family with Pompey who then like that all falls through. It's all just like so very sad and she's so manipulated 
did right and i think that um in a lot of ways she really like you know embodies the plight of like women in this like male dominated society that like does not give them any kind of tools for recourse or any kind of autonomy or agency in their own decision making like it can't help but circle me back to like Varenis talking early on about the children like this is my mm -hmm. property mm -hmm. in regards to his daughter and it really like reframes the way you look at it you know we're dealing with like a lot of hard issues in this show in terms of like slavery and and all of these really triggering topics right grace but mm -hmm. like it's easy to lose sight of the fact that like what's like really the distinction between this girl and the slaves fundamentally like she's ultimately the property actually of her brother because he's like the man of the house at this point or will be at least when he becomes of age and it's just very alien to to the way that we perceive things now and, and it does like just engender a lot of sympathy for the poor girl as she's being like shoved in these various directions yeah i mean yeah so ultimately he's going to so you know, she's going to ask about Caesar's affliction and he's going to say, oh, I lied. Like, oh, well, then the two of you are lovers then. You must have slept together in the room. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, you know, um, and I love this. I says, why do you care about Caesar's affliction? Um, you don't even like him. It's like, yeah, no, but I think that if you're willing to keep it a secret, it's worth hearing. I thought it was like the best reason to get someone. It's a great you. play. What else are you going to say there? Like, why yeah. do you really care? That's a yeah. pretty good angle of approach. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then Octavian will, instead of revealing Caesar's affliction, he says, I have a secret that it's worth keeping, which is I've actually tortured and killed a man. <laughs> it's like, and I, so again, I think like, you know, I'm keeping tabs on Niobe Baby Watch, which is now this information is, you know, out to one more person at least. Um, so that seems not great. But I, I like the way that that scene worked in terms of she's like, you know, you don't have any other secrets to tell. It's just this one secret you have. And he's like, Ah, au contraire, you know. Uh, first of all, I love you, and also, also, I tortured and killed a man. So you know. I love her underestimating him in that way yeah. and being like, "B.S. You didn't torture and kill anybody." He's like, "Oh no, I totally did." That guy with no thumbs, you know. Well, he was. Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, at one point, he's like, "Well, I, I at least helped," <laughs> which is true because Pula, I think, does do most of the torturing and killing. Yeah, it's true. They do do a great job, I think, circling back on what they've done already. Right. And like yeah. um, making the things that have happened in the show, like important in terms of like impacting future events, the way that like right. these truths are revealed and stuff. Uh, it's a great play. And I think, you know, again, like it's a really sad situation for Octavia. But I think that we come out of this whole dynamic with like a little bit. You have to come away with a little bit of appreciation for Octavian and his political acumen, his his like yeah. you know passive insight or whatever grace right like he's he's able to like clock her immediately like mm -hmm. he knows what's going on here mm -hmm. and he will then like uh capitalize on the opportunity and bed his sister and then ultimately like in the aftermath be like okay so like you clearly are going to ask me about this affliction again right like this is the whole reason that you're doing this which makes it so much darker that seemingly he understands that this is not like actually emotionally what she wants at all but is willing to like capitalize on the opportunity only then to like kind of corner her in the truth of the situation after the fact like he wants this bad enough that he doesn't care why she's doing it he's just gonna like take it for what it's worth and go with it which is like very sad and really like the two of them are so tragic and you can't help but look at Atia like what a terrible mother you are you clearly have like not done a good job with these two children well I was gonna say because we lead into the scene where they will sleep together and then Atia finds out she's gonna strike Octavian and the thing that's so this scene is wild to me is that like, I feel like she's pretty right here to be like, you pervert, you, you slept with your sister. Uh, I loved, I do love, I know that Octavian has just slept with his sister, but he also says, I am your son, but I am not your child. Uh, I do like that. Line. Yeah. It's a great line. Yeah. And then Octavia is going to be like, Hey, uh, listen, you, you killed my husband. So like, you know, on the scheme of things that are bad, you know, that one is bad. And she's like, no, I did not. I told you I didn't. You you abased yourself for a lie. Uh, Servilia is the liar, you fool. The ease to which she gaslights her own daughter is wild. I had a teacher when I was in high school, Grace. This uh -huh. is like a real deviation, but it's relevant. Yeah. And I got in trouble as 
I was wanting to do in high school. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and I was like, no, 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 I didn't do the thing. I didn't do the thing. I didn't do the thing until like it really started getting bad and the pressure came down. And I was like, I said to my math teacher, whose name was Don Johnson. Uh, I can't, can't write uh-huh. this stuff. Yes. And I was like, listen, Don Johnson, I did the thing uh-huh. between me and you. And he's like, no, this is, this is the, that's the worst choice you could have made right now when you're this deep in a lie you need to double down yeah, you can never admit the truth you've gone too far already so mm-hmm. i'm gonna pretend you didn't tell me that and you're going to like hold the lie against the headmaster and i did i just doubled down and took the advice of my math teacher don wow. johnson go, thank you go don johnson yeah i know really yeah. uh, he had my back he was a really good teacher. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was furious at me for this oh, situation yeah um which maybe you could put the pieces left together across many podcasts if you go back to the DM Philly iconography, but it like it's fundamentally where Atti is at. Like she's too deep. You can't, there comes a point where like you can't use the survivor tactic anymore of like, well, I'm going to engender trust by admitting to you that I lied and making it seem like you're the one person I'm willing to admit to you I lied about. Like Atti, there's no way out of this. If she acknowledges, like, yeah, I killed Glabius, but you're better off for it. Like, look how much better your life is now. We hated Glabius. Like she just can't. You have to toe the line. And so while it is like contemptuous that she so easily gaslights her daughter, I do have to applaud her for her commitment to the lie, Grace, because like that's the only move left for her at this point. You can never acknowledge the truth, uh, much to your point. Like once you start acknowledging the truth, the truth gets out there and it's probably going to come back to haunt you at some point. Well, Servilius haunted by Timon. And his men. Um, it's so weird. We have Timon, but I don't see. Is there a Pumbaa? I don't see a no, Pumbaa. No, Pumbaa. Hmm. I think that was one of his horses. Mm-hmm. Okay. I love Octavian being like, "Are you still effing my mother?" Yeah, right. He's like, "Uh, whatever she'll have." He's like, "Yeah, that would explain the over familiarity." You know, it's like it's so, so funny. Good. This kid is so good. It's good. Um, yeah, they're going to Timon won't actually participate. He's just gonna get his men to go and do that. They're going to attack Servilia and sort of her consort of folks and then cut her hair off and strip her naked. And I will say Timon looks pretty regretful when this is happening. Maybe I'm on the wrong side of history. Are we the baddies? I think he's saying. Time and like, yeah, I feel for this guy as he's like become the cat's paw for Atia as we've watched across the season. He does like a lot of dark stuff. At what point is it like worth it again in terms of like uh just very candidly, right? Like the sexual drives of these men, like pursuing them, driving them to like do these things that they're like regretful of. I think there's like a clear mirroring between time. And, and between Octavian, who's like laying in bed yeah. with Octavia after the fact, like, no, no, this isn't just like culturally wrong. This is unambiguously wrong. Why do you think like so many like terrible things or children are like born out of relationships of incest? Clearly the gods do not approve, but like I'm down to do it anyway, you know, uh, and and the way that that's like kind of mirrored in time and like it's interesting i do really feel for servilia at the end as bad as like everything that she's doing is like you can't help but have sympathy for her and i think that that's what's so clever about the writing in this show that they're giving us a bunch of like really morally gray characters that Mm -hmm. you can sympathize with throughout their machinations like none of them are like unambiguously good or bad they're all like just pursuing their own agendas and willing to like discard morality when it serves their interest but so many of them you can feel real sympathy for Mm -hmm. I think except for Atia probably who I still just love because she's so fun to watch like ruin all the people's lives yeah it's pretty good it's pretty fun um all right let's talk through because we will talk through varanus basically uh and and pula which is uh he's a little bit bored by just coming home not having a job really he's he's trying to tell all his, his this this I think his he I believe he thinks it's his grandson, but it's actually his son trying to yes. tell the story who who's crying and he's like, I, I, I don't know. It turns out Lydie and Niobe have gone into they're running the butcher shop, uh, Vander's butcher shop. Brennis is pretty hesitant to to take up the job of shopkeeper, uh, but ultimately doesn't. And this is where he's going to run into the issue with Erastes and Erastes men. 
I was a prefect in the evil Cadi, Grace. Yeah. Caesar himself gave me a horse. I love that uh, line. Caesar gave me a horse. It's, so good. <laughs> it's uh-huh. so good, dude. Um, and I love like him and Pulo just like working the butcher shop, sitting down for a minute. Lighty's giving them hell. Like, get up, yeah, learn this sitting down, basically. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Him like telling the story of the elephants and terrifying the kid who is not his grandson or his son, but like actually like his stepson, I guess. Right. Uh, right. It's so fantastic. Like the, like I have like no sense whatsoever of what's appropriate for a child because I've been out like just slaughtering men for the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It really like works for me so good. I I really like, despite it all, the Erasti storyline like coming back. The idea that like, oh no, he's a big man now ever since like Pompey got like taken out of the picture. He's consolidated his power in like the kind of underworld as it were. Like this guy's a mob boss, right mm-hmm. uh and it's a really interesting dynamic we get a graham mctavish sighting which is like really fun like check another one off of like fun actors who turn up on rome and like these tiny little parts uh i know he was like a, a big beloved fan from uh outlander i think and like yep, one he's of in the house of the dragon recently yeah yep. oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah i i yeah i like this a lot of Rennes, this like this idea of you know whether or not he's respected or not and this man coming and it's pretty brutal i mean the whole thing is i'm gonna i'm gonna if you do not come and kneel at my feet i will kill you but first i will like you know brutalize your family burn down your home you know it's pretty awful um and the idea that like that man would come and basically see caesar's men at the door is pretty fun i think it's like oh man like yeah we totally messed with the wrong guy i whether or not this like is over i predict maybe not but i do think the like yeah caesar being there to basically be like hey can you be a magistrate can you you know can you you know run for office um therefore stopping Arastes men from being able to to slaughter verenus's family i liked it i thought it was fun I, um, the experience of rewatching this again, like this is a one and done for me. I watched it like 15 years ago and never circled back. So most of it is like in the haze of memory of decade. Right. Um, but this scene, I very explicitly remember, cause I remember getting so hype for them hiding their weapons. We've talked about it. Like there's oh, yeah. not a lot of like big giant epic battles. Right. But there are little fights and scraps and stuff along the way. And right. so like Pulo and Varenis, like stashing swords all over the house. Pretty getting ready to like really kick some ass Varenus like coming to the door with the two uh like uh gladiuses the gladius is like a specific type of short sword that these like roman uh, soldiers used that was really like honed and super sharp on the on the kind of front tips um him like walking up to the entryway to their little foyer with these swords only to get like the subversion of expectations as caesar comes like storming in with this army of soldiers behind him it's a really great bait and switch from like the editing and then like holds like story momentum and yeah Arastes what my favorite thing is like Arastes shows up he doesn't get a look at like these 20 legionnaires blocking off the doorway and then just like turn and leave he literally like walks up to these guys like mean mugs them like they're mm-hmm. like the the like British guard or whatever and he's trying to see if he can get them to move you know yeah and I love the like quintessential like legionnaire move of like we're just gonna like unsheath the sword like one tenth yeah. of the way and yeah. be like Shoot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you see this deal? Yeah. You see it? You see it? You want to see the rest of it? Right. It's just so awesome. It's really like evocative um, from the Evocati. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the last part here is as Pula's watching all this happen, we get the reveal that he's going to, you know, go to um, Ariane and, and say, you know, my my mother was a slave. I was born from slaves. I will not kneel for anybody. I do think, once again, I think in terms of the complexities of people, this is interesting because. Pulo's been pretty happy to go with the flow. He's very much a come with guy. And seemingly through this whole thing, he must know that Caesar is, you know, in some way, you know, I don't know whether or not he believed the whole time that Caesar would, you know, uphold the Republic and he was just doing it because he had to and that he would sort of return and it's just these sort of bad seeds that he get out of the way. This feels a little bit like it comes out of nowhere, except my read on it is that this is a little bit of Pulo grandizing himself a little bit in front of 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 this woman he likes in the sense mm-hmm. that this is why i'm upset not because actually i'm jealous of my friend who's getting all the love and attention um despite 
you know, I knew that he he's been conflicted the whole time. I think this is a really interesting place to sort of place some potential conflict back in the mix between Pulo and Varenas, who have basic basically been buddies since episode two. Like once they get back from that initial trip and basically like Varenas saves Pulo's life by getting the man to come and do the surgery. Like they've been pretty buddy buddy. And so I, mm-hmm. I this to me feels like there's tension. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, but this idea that Pulo is not super happy with Caesar. I feel like it's not because it's Caesar. It's because Pulo's not getting anything out of this. He's just sitting and drinking and sort of meandering about. That's a really interesting interpretation. I like that a lot. Um, I mean, I think certainly like the little bit of tension as he's looking at Varenis and like, oh, I want this. Um, it, 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 it enters a little bit of like tension back into the relationship, certainly. But I guess my read of it is that, you know, our needs change as people. We change over time. And when we met uh, Pulo in the beginning of this thing, he's a very straightforward and simple guy. He's really all about like just feeding his base pleasure. And yeah. he's in the midst of like a foreign campaign, right? He's a legionnaire, like fighting in the north like these guys you know death is cheap and easy and like how many of their compatriots to get buried in like shallow graves in in distant lands as it were so the simplicity of this guy off the bat of like i just want women and i want to drink and i want to gamble and i want to like enjoy my time that i'm not fighting and killing until they point me to fight and kill somebody else again like part of this homecoming this is really different than the first time they came back to rome because now presumably they're done like Varenna says no more soldiering for me they're like taking off their armor and about to like find lives they're about to be butchers grace they're gonna go be shopkeepers much mm-hmm. to Varenna's chagrin so Pulo's needs have changed and his expectations for his life have changed right he doesn't have to fear that tomorrow morning he's gonna wake up and like go die in a ditch because some gall is gonna put an axe in his belly and now like what is his life like how long can these kind of hollow pursuits fulfill him and he's realizing like he wants more than that i think and i think there's a little bit of my read where i'm like for the first time ever this man can contemplate his thoughts about politics like he was very willing to go with caesar because caesar serves him as long as he's caesar's man like caesar rising up like you know the the high tide raises all ships kind of a deal right? right and now like there's i think he is aggrandizing in front of her a little bit and trying to present himself as more like a man of thought and philosophy but i think the other side of that is that he is able to engage in thought and philosophy a little bit more and reflect on like what his life has been and what it's going to be going forward i also find the relationship between he and ariane like really enchanting and charming Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. it's such like an atypical depiction certainly of a slave owner and a slave but of these men who we see like seem so empowered with the notion that they're entitled to take whatever the hell they want right and that is literally the society that has like been built up around them they are entitled to take whatever they want even if it means like sleeping with their sister and that's effed up so i love like pulo operating outside of that you know a little bit more like nobility in this low man that was born a slave this episode is written by um alexander cunningham which i think is um is interesting because there's a line in here in particular that feels so poignant yet like it feels it feels it's like a it's a thing that like feels like it's written in a modern show which is pulo says you don't smile much and she says well what do you want me to smile more he says no i want you to be happy um which i really like because there's a classic thing that women get told a lot by men like i want you to smile more and so you know that normally comes from the fact that like can't you just placate around me like don't be miserable like be happy that you're around me and with me and whatever and so the subversion of that which is do you want me to smile more he says no i i you know you're not smiling because you're not happy that's what i want i want you to be happy i, lo- I really love that line um uh, of writing i think it's maybe not a coincidence this episode is written yeah by a woman in alexander cunningham so um yeah no it's yeah. really insightful you know i think that the way that um you know we're using ancient rome to like interrogate a lot of the failings of our modern cultures is really pretty interesting and that's a really poignant observation yeah all right let's put some people in the Colosseum that has yet to be built rich you are up first i put caesar in last week uh who ultimately we I think I pushed my hand a little bit, but defeated Cleopatra. But who do you want to enter into the Colosseum this week? I want to put Varenus into the Colosseum. Okay. I, I think that um, 
he got a horse from Caesar himself. So good. So I think good. he manages to like come home to a much more receptive homecoming than last time. His children are delighted to see him. His not children yep. are even delighted to That's see right. him. That's His right. wife is like completely like uh, taken by her passions. He's got like twice as many slaves on a soldier's wage because his wife has built up an incredible business for him to retire to. But he doesn't even have to take that incredible business. By the end of this thing, he's getting up jumped uh, to become like a representative under Caesar. I think that Frenis, he like doesn't have to deal with the Rasties and have like a fight to the death in, the, in his backyard. Like Varenis comes up pretty big in this episode, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. The person I'm going to put in, I feel like I can't, I don't think I could possibly make um, a case for why they should win because of the last scene of the episode, but everything up until then, I feel like is pretty good. Even if I feel like down the road, these are moves, these are decisions that she makes that maybe won't work out, but at the time being, they work out and I can see why she did it. So this is Servilia that I'm going to put in there, who I don't yes. think we've put in yet. And it's only because she has this scene where like, ultimately Octavia is going to tell her mother that it's like Servilia who knows that like, you know, they found one of the men who killed Glabius and then she's going to basically turn around and then go seek revenge. But up until that point, I feel like it's a it's it's such a compelling episode for Sevilla in terms of you know as evil as it is you know to be like could you go seduce your brother to get the information so I could you know take down Caesar that'd be great um, so yeah I think it's a very compelling episode for Sevilla even if I probably can't argue she should win and probably Varenas should win. I mean, it's very evil, but I think that what's so like incredible is how effective she is that she yeah. does get Octavia to do this. And yeah. very ironically, as I'm reflecting back on Don Johnson's advice to me, I can't oh. help but recall that the entire situation happened because somebody else blew up my spot, much like Octavia does. You know, it's yeah. one of these things where like uh, when you tell young people things that are like, but don't tell anybody, you need to count on them telling somebody. <laughs> <True>. so, <laughs> like, I think that's like really Servilius failing here. Yeah. Like, too much faith in this young woman to be able to like hold up against interrogation. I love Servilia. Uh, you know, season two of the Wheel of Time just wrapped to date us a little bit, Grace. And Lindsay Duncan appeared on that show to like incredible fanfare, really like stole some scenes out of the middle of the season. And so I'm delighted to keep talking about Lindsay Duncan. And I think Servilia is such a delightful character. But I have to agree that ultimately, like, she gets found out by the yeah. end. Like, as good yeah. as the whole plan is, her spot gets blown up she's like completely demoralized dehumanized and like dishonored by the end of this and it's really tragic uh, mm. and Verena's probably should carry on alright well that puts Verena's on the top of the leaderboard close to he has three wins along with Caesar's it's just that Caesar has not yet lost when he's gone to the Coliseum Verena's lost once against Octavian mm. nevertheless All right, yeah, that, that tracks that tracks I, I love it Verena's uh, prefect of the Evocati yeah dominate the gladiators yeah, yeah. Um, alright you got a scene you want to highlight in particular rich one that was uh, a favorite of yours god this might sound effed up but i'm gonna go with the opening scene of the episode because i think yeah. that it's one of these things where like we've heard about the elephants uh -huh. so many yeah, times right, yeah, right? Yeah. we keep like talking about the elephants and i think that there is a metaphor there also that cato is talking about of like they say these men are big men Right. Yeah. Like when when Niobe talks about Erastes coming up, she's like, ever since Pompey went down, Erastes has dominated the docks. He is a big man now. That's like literally the terminology. And so Cato and Scipio, despite being defeated, they are big men. They are men of like prominence. Even after their losses, there's this whole entourage that's going to follow them to Utica. Right. And I think there's a little bit of the metaphor and like they're, you know, they're so big. Once they get knocked down, they can't get back up again. Mm -hmm. This is Cato and Scipio. They've been knocked down. They can't get back up again, despite what the song tells you. And I think that it was like a clever use of the elephant. I hope that no animals were harmed in the making of this episode of television. But uh, just to be able to like bring a little bit of that actually onto the screen. This is one of these things where we could have like kept talking about elephants across 22 episodes and never yeah, seen never one. Never seen one. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm going to point out my one of my favorite little moments that we haven't talked about yet, which is the newsreader is announcing that yes. Cato and Scipio are dead. And then 
he gives the worst ad rate of all time. He's like, yeah, 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 bread, Roman, Roman bread for Romans. <laughs> like so, still. He's still over it. Yeah, I think he's read the same ad for two years straight by this point, so he's a yeah. little bit over it. Um, I thought that was very funny. This is kind of like when you're listening to a podcast that you listen to all the time, and it's like yeah, they're still being sponsored by, um, you know, what's a stamp.com or whatever, and it's like <laughs> it's, been, it's been like five years, and they always have to do the ad rates. So like, yes, you know, stamps.com. You know, makes mail easier or whatever. <laughs> I like yeah, the ad reader. Dial being, a mattress. I you like him being over the bed guild. Yeah. Sleep on mattresses. I do love um how contemporary it sounds. Roman grade for true Romans. He is like so down. The he the newsreader is scroll. Yeah, uh, the newsreader is like quietly one of my favorite scenes every Agreed. episode. He does this stuff with his hands, yeah. like this guy is making the most of this role, That's and right. I am like delighted for him to come on screen every week. I'm glad that you picked it because yeah. I specifically didn't talk about it because I knew you would be psyched to talk about the ad read. You know? Perfect, great. Yeah, no, he's a delight. He's a treat. Um, all right, that is episode nine. We'll be back tomorrow with our Friday episode for season one, episode. 10 uh, let me see if i have the episode in front of me it is triumph hmm, that should ooh. be good that should be good um, triumph i wonder ooh, ooh. yeah in the meantime rich where can people find you what are you up to uh, at DM Philly on Twitter, I'm doing a bunch of stuff. I'm talking about Tales from the Loop with you. Just wrapped up Ahsoka. Just wrapped up the Wheel of Time. We got a couple of uh, post show podcasts over there going on for that. I'm talking about the Winter King with Prez. Uh, Dimension Twenty coverage. Just yeah. we're talking about Burroughs and myself and the great Doctor Melissa Woodward. So uh, a lot of TV to be talking about. Amazing. Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Hi from Grace at Go for Grace. Talking movies. Our flag means death. The morning show. Lots of stuff from me. We'll be back tomorrow as we continue talking about Rome every single day. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.